2: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest in the world of business, entrepreneurship, and professional wrestling to help you harness your own inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today on the podcast is someone that I've truly, I am truly honored to have on an undisputable legend in the world of pro wrestling, heavy metal, film, television, podcasting, and the quintessential entertainer, Chris Jericho. And I got to keep this introduction short because I'm too excited to dive into our conversation, but there's a lifetime of entertainment to get into. So let's unpack this. Chris Jericho, welcome to the podcast. Excellent. How are you, man? Good. Awesome. I am thrilled to have you. I mean, I'm an old school wrestling fan. I'm a new school wrestling fan. So this is a big one to me. In addition to that, deep into the Web3 space, which we're going to get to with your Paymaker project. So we have a lot to unpack. But the first thing I like to do on this show is really dig into the origin of my guest. Where did the creativity come from? Where did the drive come from? And I want to talk about your dad a little bit and your dad professional um, NHL hockey player, how did his career influence you to follow your dreams when you were a kid?
1: Well, I think you pretty much just answered your own question there. The, the fact that I kind of grew up in a house where, where my dad, uh, uh, played pro hockey and kind of, I think at 17 years old was basically scooped out of his high school class to go to play for the Boston Bruins, um, Kind of paved the way for when I wanted to, you know, become a wrestler and, and, and a musician and all these things. Even though it sounded pretty far fetched to the average bear, uh, I think my dad understood it because he had kind of been through that before with 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 his life. So it was always kind of a, um, you know, especially like in 1990 when when you talk about wanting to be a pro wrestler, it's not like it is now it's almost like telling your, your parents you want to become a sword swallower <laughs> in the circus or something in that, um, you know, how do you even do that, right? Like so, like that sounds impossible. How do you become a wrestler? There was no internet or any kind of, you know, website you could go to.
2: It's Saturday, Sunday, but my dad was Saturday always kind of
1: like, let's just make it happen. Let's figure it out. So there was always a real kind of a positive uh, uh, element to, to some of these wacky ideas that I had because he had done the same thing.
2: Well, it's it's interesting, you know, being a being a professional athlete like your father. How did he teach you early on about failure? I mean, the, the way the story goes, correct me if I'm wrong. You got cut from the hockey from the hockey team in twelfth grade. Like, was that like the first real taste of serious, you know, athletic failure? I mean, how did you synthesize that and and learn to move forward?
1: It, it was it was actually uh, the twelfth grade when I got cut from the high school hockey team but I I didn't really want to do it anyways I was too busy playing with my band and I was too busy working out and and thinking about wrestling and thinking about rock and roll so I played hockey because that's just what you do growing up in Winnipeg especially as the son of Ted Irvin but I was never great at hockey you know we used to have four tiers um, that you would play like in the community club and tier four was the worst tier one was the best and i was tier 3 it was like average but i had fun with it it was cool you enjoyed but it hockey hockey was never never something that that i really wanted to do so i never really saw that as failure i just saw it as like one less thing that i had to worry about so i could go lift weights after school and then go to go to go to the to band practice you know go play well, with my band
2: well i'm i'm sure i'm sure hockey taught you how to take a hit and toughen you up i mean that's just like, that's just in the canadian dna right
1: well, yeah, I grew up in Winnipeg where it's minus 30 and you're kind of walking the streets on a Saturday night because there's nothing really to do when you're a kid, so you, <laughs> you steal a bottle of, of booze from somebody's parents' liquor cabinet and just go walk around like <laughs> there's your, there's your activity for a Saturday night, so I think it does kind of toughen you up um, you know mentally and physically as well.
2: One of, one of the themes throughout your your career journey um, has been going all in. You go all in full blast uh, with with everything. When was that moment when you decided to go all in in wrestling? Probably, I don't know. Um,
1: probably when I was about 16 or so, I think, maybe. Um, I just really was enamored with wrestling. I had been since since probably I was eight or nine years old. Um, and I was, like I said, I wanted to, when I, that was probably when I decided I wanted to be a wrestler and I wanted to be in a band. And, and those are the kind of the two things that I wanted to do. And there was you know, an address that would show up on, on the local wrestling show from Calgary uh, that you go to the Hart brothers for wrestling camp. And I, I wrote that address down. I think I wrote a letter to the, to the address probably around that time frame when I was 16 and, you know, how do you do this? What, how old do you have to be? And they said, you had to be 18. So that's kind of when I started focusing Well, when I, when I turn 18, that's what I want to do. Um, so the, the, you know, I don't want to give you the whole life story cause it'll take five hours, but basically that was kind of the shit. plan, um, was, to, was to go in, into wrestling uh, when I was old enough to do so. And that's kind of when I decided, so there was no backup plan and there was no really other option cause there wasn't anything else that I wanted to do. You know, I went to, I went and got my You're journalism focused. degree, um, you know, uh, and, and once I got my journalism degree, it's like I, I would write for the local newspaper, but it's like, I don't want to be the guy, you know, writing about people. I want to be the guy that's being written about. And so that kind of very quickly made me realize like there's really nothing else that I want to do other than, than, than be in wrestling and and play play my guitar and those that's just it. And then whatever else happens, happens. But these are the two things that I want to do. And wrestling was the one that I could ac- access first because there was an actual – school that you could go to to learn how to wrestle and that's kind of what what where it all started
2: who who were some of your early wrestling influences who did you look up to
1: um i was a huge hulk hogan fan uh in the 80s like you know 86 87 88 hulk hogan was kind of the king of wrestling um so that was probably my biggest influence and then he was you know obviously really big there's so some of the smaller guys are like Randy Savage but, and, and Ricky Steamboat, Owen Hart.
3: Love Ricky Steamboat.
1: Those, Shawn Michaels, those are the type of guys that like, okay, I know that Hulk Hogan is six foot eight and 300 pounds with 24 inch pythons, <laughs> but you know, these guys, I remember I waited in line at World of Wheels, which was a like an automobile convention. I waited in line for three hours to, to get Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's picture and his autograph. And I was like, what can I ask him? I've got three hours to think of a question. And when I got to the front, <laughs> I asked the question, how tall are you? Come on. And he remember he said <laughs> I'm 5'11, 225 pounds. And I was like, Fuck, I'm 5'11. I, I, now that's now you can visualize it. Like nice. I'm not six foot eight like the Hulkster, but I'm five foot eleven like Ricky the Dragon steamboat. So maybe I could do this. Obviously, he's jacked to the gills and like you know, 30 pounds heavier than I am, but I can gain weight. I can't make myself taller. So that was the first time when I realized, like, okay. You know, guys that aren't six foot eight can become great wrestlers, and that was kind of done. That, that kind of really sealed the deal for me at that point.
2: And how enamored were you with the with the storylines? You 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 are a creator, and we'll we'll fast forward in a little bit to how that translates into today's story. But the storylines and and how much they resonated and how much influence you have once you get into wrestling school of how you kind of dictate and create your own storylines as a as a character and then within on in the ring as well.
1: Well, I think probably when I, when I first actually got into the business, I realized that like, okay, like once again, I'll I'll never be the biggest guy. And and, and it's storylines. Like when you first start in wrestling, there's really no storylines, you know, it's not until you get to, you know, televised wrestling where you get actual stories, because at that point you're wrestling once a month, you know, twice a month or you're you're in, you're in a city once, once a month, you know? So like, okay, we've got Calgary wrestling or maybe you'd have it every Friday. So like, okay, this week, this guy attacks you next week, you have a match, you know? And then so, but to me it, it was about the, the characters and the personalities and the charisma and that sort of stuff, because, you know, I, I could never be the biggest guy on the show, but I could, I could have the, the, the biggest personality, you know, and the biggest character. And so that I, I figured that out very early on. And, and that's kind of what I really focused on was being, being the most charismatic person on the show, even if I was, you know not the biggest because once again early 90s it was all about the size and and there's a lot of really big they guys did. that were, were getting into the business but you know i'll say like once again like they're, they're kind of boring or maybe they don't understand how to wrestle or how to connect with the crowd and that sort of thing so i realized that that was and it still is to this day the most important thing about pro wrestling is connecting with the audience and making them want to to be involved into what you're doing engaging w- with with what you're doing so that's still the most important thing after all these years
2: and i love that foundation and it translates into the project you're doing with Painmaker, which we'll get to in, in a little bit for me it's so crazy for me i mean i grew up i'm i'm 43 years old to give you a sense of where i am from my wrestling history i grew up with like hulk and chic and andre and all those guys too but for me like personality and it was rick flair man and still is man what, what's your what's your kind of hot take on 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 Ric Flair and his and his story and and how he puts himself out there?
1: Well, I mean, you know, once again, that's it's it's about the charisma and the character, and I think there's a lot of guys who, who kind of fall into that category, but but Rick's, you know, was great at that, especially you know in his, in his day, he he was one of the best. But I I never really saw a lot of Ric Flair because once again, growing that's up in different. Canada, we didn't have that wrestling it was more WWF. So that was always more my, you know, my, my, my side of the coin was, 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 you know, what was going on with, with, with the WWF guys. And then, and then getting into the business, obviously, you know, about Ric Flair, but then, you know, then, then that's when Shawn Michaels was really hot too. And so I, I always kind of was, was really attracted to what Shawn was doing um in the States, you know, and then you go to Japan and there's a lot of guys there that you're interested in. You go to Mexico and that's kind of, cause that was my foundation was, working internationally for probably six years before I kind of really started breaking into the States. So I kind of, that, that helped me to develop a different style, um, that a lot of guys had. So, you know, even though it took me kind of six years to get to the national stage, which might seem like a long time and the big picture it's really not, but in the meantime, I was still, you know, a a national star in Japan and, and almost like a teen heartthrob in Mexico, like on the cover of, the Mexican teen beat magazine and that sort of thing. So I really learned how to, how to become a main event top level performer uh, around the world before I ever really came to the States, you know, Mexico, Japan, Germany was really big for me. Um, And then also working kind of all around Canada too. So I kind of had a really healthy palette of experience um, by the time I, I got into TV in the States, which I think kind of really helped me, um, because once you learn how to, how, to, how to get over, as we say in the business, once you learn how to get over, you know, in Japan, for example, get over in Tokyo, you, you can take those same principles and get over in, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina, or get over in Seattle, Washington. It, it doesn't really matter where it is. The principle is the same. And that's engaging the audience. That's the most important thing.
2: And it seems to be a common thread. Was there, was there like one moment or was there a point where you really felt like a success or was it just a logical progression in your career? Was there where one match, one stage, one city where are like, shit, I fucking made it. I'm here. I mean, I'm mean, at know, the it's, main it's, event.
1: It's all, it's all relative, right? Like, you know, like you remember being the first main event and, you know, in, in Winnipeg, Manitoba at a high school gymnasium. And you're like, this is it. I did it. You know, the first time wrestling on TV uh, in, in, you know, kind of a, cable network in, in Canada, like, there you go, you made it. And then suddenly it's all progressive, you know, they, then then you steal the show in front of 10,000 people at the sumo arena in Tokyo, Japan, and and that's making it, you know, and, and then suddenly you're on TV, you know, working for ECW, a very small little company out of Philadelphia, but it was the, it was kind of the cool company to be. Now I'm on ECW. Now I've made it. So it can, continues to go. My it's, biggest goal was relevant. to work for, for WWF. That was the biggest one. Uh, And that was in 1999 when I finally signed with them. So that was making it, you know, but then you're just starting your career all over again. So it increasingly becomes, um, you know, a bigger version of making it. And I think it's all, it's all kind of, what do you, like you as the individual consider to be really making it? And I think, I think once you're involved in it and, and expanding your horizons, your definition of making it expands as well and if you really want it then you always want more even now i still always want more like i've made it but there's still other things that i want to do you know
2: do you you still get jitters when you go in the ring like what's what's kind of that that pregame ritual that you got before you step in the ring
1: i mean you don't get jitters where you're like you're terrified but you should always have some some positive no nervous energy because you're still performing, right? You know, and, and now the stakes are so high because you go into the ring and there's a million people watching. You know, if you have 5,000 people in the audience yeah. or 10,000 people in the audience and, and there's a million people watching, well, there's that. I mean, if you're playing with the band and there's, you know, you, you're, you sell out a venue and there you know there's a, there's a thousand people in there. There's 500 people in there, whatever it may be. Like you need
2: that fire. He, you need that. juice. You always,
1: Yeah. I I think the, the day you don't feel like a little nervousness, like in a positive way is the day you should probably quit. Like if, I'll never forget. I, I wrestled with this guy. He's one of the all time greats. His name is Gene Kaniski. And I, he actually, I actually was his tag team partner for his very last match. It's probably like 1992 or something like that. And he was just sitting there with a cigarette and, <laughs> music's playing. I say, Oh, this is my music. We got music. Wow. All right. Put the cigarette out. Let's go kid. Like that's, that's cool that he had that confidence, but there should always be a little bit like, come on, let's go. Let's get ready. this is going to be great. Like I, that's kind of, I feel that every night, whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, and I think you should feel that because uh, it's healthy for you. You know, it's healthy. Mentally. Now is,
2: is, a, is the moment you don't feel that Chris, the moment you hang it up. I mean, we talk about, and you spoke about it on Howie Mandel show too. You know, you, you had a, the, um, the, uh, the embolism and you brought yourself back even better health than now. Like what's, what's going to be that trigger when you're like, I'm done. Like, is there that moment? Look at Tom Brady, right? Like Tom Brady retired, quote unquote, came back. And now, I mean, if you guys are watching down there, I mean, some, some of these games are great. And some of them are fucking sad. Like, when do you know when to hang it up from the greatness?
1: Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's 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 so much different than being in the NFL, right? Because show business, you know, wrestling is, is show business. Now, obviously, it's an athletic competition. But the beauty for me is, like, I'll know when it's time to stop wrestling. Like, like, I still can have the best match on the show on any given night. Not every night. But, I mean, I think this past Wednesday, I probably have the best match on the show. Like, um, and as long as I feel that I can do that, then I'll stay involved but I know, I know that it's not going to be 10 more years, you know, but the beauty of it is like, that's why it's great to be, be with Fozzie and, and have the podcast, you know, And now going into NFTs and, and doing movies and having talk as Jericho, like I never have to quit. So when, when no, is the time don't. to stop? Like when I fucking die. Right. And then maybe I then i still come back as a ghost or something at that point in time. <laughs> maybe they'll have NFT ghosts where you just capture your soul. <laughs> That, Holograms, online, man, you know um, what I mean? we're like, close. So I, I just saw the Stones in London this past summer and Mick Jagger's still Mick Jagger. He, you know, it's a I hologram, stood- man. It's
2: not him. It's a hologram, well, yeah. Chris. It's if not really him. I'm close, telling you.
1: If you stood up close next <laughs> to him, you'd be like, oh my gosh, this guy looks old. But on stage, he's still Mick. So I, Empire. Think, I remember when, when I was a kid, when my dad was my age, like you're wearing, you know, velour sweatsuits and big giant glasses <laughs> and, you know, gardening. <laughs> And now it's like <laughs> 52, like, fuck, I'm still stealing the show on wrestling shows and, and my band is bigger than ever. And there's all these other Killing avenues it. that are going on. So Excited. I don't ever think about when does it stop? I think of like, what other cool things can I do to keep the plate spinning, you know?
2: Do you, ever, do you ever think I, a complete side note too and 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 David too, who's joining us too? Um Dave Shapiro, did you, you ever think like I'm 43 years old? What was my dad like at 43? What did he look? Did he act like me? Did he have the same energy? Do you guys ever think that? Like complete side note here. Like does my, did my dad have the same energy? Does he?
3: My dad what was a professor of philosophy at the University of Kansas, so. <laughs>
1: but like yeah. the, the world has changed, right? Like, it's like, you know, like when my dad was, was 52. So then you're looking at, you know, like the 1994, whatever the hell it was, like the thing, things have changed like in a positive way. Like th- think back to when I remember, you know, at 55, you start preparing for retirement. It's old. Like, what, what does that even mean? You know, like you got to retire at 55. Like who, who would ever want to, whoever wants to retire? Like, wh- what are you going to do? Don't. Like my dad, my dad s- still works. Like, He's like, why am I gonna retire? I remember Ozzy like years ago, the final Aussie tour, and after like six months he came back and I was like, oh, like of course what well, I'm gonna take this fucking box and put it over here and here's a plant. Like who wants like no on the couch? It doesn't work <laughs> that way. You know? <laughs> you need to relax, Chris. Like, no, I don't need to relax. Like oh, I don't keep I, going. I, I never liked anybody telling me what to do when I was 18. I certainly don't need you to tell me what to do when I'm you know fifty-two. <laughs> And I'm yeah. not going to have to tell me what to do when I'm 72. Like you know what I mean. So uh, I, I think it. I think that's another reason why. Like if you're looking at, at something like we're talking about in the NFT space, it's a whole new world of of cool stuff you can do. And to me, that's kind of what it's all about: is how many cool things can you do uh, to keep people engaged. Once again, that's the word of the day: engaged in what it is that you're doing.
0: Hey, everybody. First, I'd like to thank you all for spending time with me and my guest on the podcast. This show is my canvas to showcase amazing people from the world of recruiting, entrepreneurship, and leadership, and unpack their career journeys for everyone to learn from. But this show is also a business generator for me, as well as creating thought leadership and endless amazing content. And I've taken what I've learned in the past three years and over 200 recorded and 100 live shows and distilled it down into a digital playbook that I call the Pause Course. Now you could learn how I build, manage, and produce the podcast and use it to drive real business development and relationships. Today, I'm sharing all of my secrets behind the podcast, and you can get it all at the This course is for anyone, whether you're starting out or an advanced podcast, or you're using it for B2B, B2C. It's filled with all of my insights, learnings, tips, tricks, and templates. So get it now at the and learn all my secrets. Thanks.
2: So last question this is my standing online at the at the at the Carl's Ford dealership in the middle of Nebraska waiting to meet Chris Jericho <laughs> and my question's going to be to you Chris who I mean I'm sure you've got this one a million times what was who was your toughest opponent? Was the toughest match um, toughest opponent in the ring? You know I mean like the that, that's people. that's
1: the, there's there's the, that's a um you know a, a, such a such a multifaceted question cuz there's tough as in like Who's the 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 strongest style of opponent that you really feel well, when you're in there? Well let me reframe that. Who, From a storyline
2: standpoint, in that in that ring, when you were figuring it out and, and and it was going back and forth and you guys are just vibing and and it got tough in there and you wanted to put on the best show. I'm spinning it a little bit, right? Who did you jive with the best and, and who was that yeah, best I mean, dance partner?
1: Best opponent. You know, I mean I had great chemistry with you know, go through my career with Ultimo Dragon. I had great chemistry with The Rock. Rock uh, with Shawn Michaels, um, you know, with, uh, Kevin Owens was a great dance partner. Uh, uh John Moxley has been awesome. Um, MJF was awesome. So, you know, there's a lot of great, and that goes beyond just being in the ring and wrestling, you know, it's the storyline stuff that you're doing as well.
2: So, um, heels, baby face playing the game. Yeah, and yep. you,
1: Once again, what kind of a story, like, you know, what kind of a story can you tell that, you know, people are interested in? So, All of those names that I mentioned all had great stories attached to them. So it's not just getting in the ring and having awesome matches, because you can do that with a lot of guys as well. I mean, Kenny Omega and I had one of the greatest matches of all time, but we only wrestled, I think, twice ever uh, with really no story, you know? So, but, but, so it's kind of like I said, there's a chemistry thing. There's a chemistry thing. There's also like so many different branches to a question like that. But I think I think I, I gave you some pretty great names yeah. and some great stories that were attached to it.
2: And 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 one of the things I love about you and you kept hitting on it before is how multifaceted you're. You're a creator at heart, whether it be music, art, writing, wrestling, and you were a pioneer yeah. in the in the podcast space. I mean, back 2013. I mean, you got like fucking like yeah. 250 million downloads plus with your show early on, where people were saying, you yeah, know, this podcast thing isn't going to work out and all that. Like, would you say to the yeah. naysayers?
1: I didn't even know what podcasting was like, I remember on that time, I, the first podcast I ever did was Adam Carolla. And I remember I said to my public at the time, like, why am I doing a podcast? Cause I thought a podcast literally, I thought it was like a vlog or, you know, a blog, like some dude, you know, you don't want to ever say the guest, some guy sitting in the basement, but some guy just like doing it like on a college radio station or something. Like I didn't even know what it was. Like, what is a podcast? And then I, I realized, well, it's a long form conversation. And I like that. You know what I mean? I I, I like, I've always been inquisitive that way. And, and, and you know, it's, I thought that was kind of a cool idea. So let me start. But once again, when I first started, they're like, well, it's a wrestling podcast. And I was like, well, it can't be because I'm not just about wrestling. There's right. so many things. I, I just did an interview yesterday with Sirius where I had to explain once again, this isn't a wrestling podcast because, if it was, I wouldn't be doing it. I can't just talk about wrestling all the time because I don't fucking care. You know, I'm interested in it to a certain point, but I'm also interested in music and paranormal and comedy and pop culture and freaking, I don't know, give me a mob boss and I'll talk to them. Give me a surfer. What is that? Just you, know, interesting. To, you, know, you know, whatever it is that's interesting to me, then I'll talk about it. And I think that's one of the reasons why my show has done so well is that people never know what they're going to get. When, when, when Talk is Jericho comes out, there's two episodes a week. Who's it going to be? So yeah. it keeps you going You could have on, slash on, on Kiefer exciting.
2: Sutherland. You have, you have, I mean, the, the guest list is fucking amazing. And, and the people that you yeah. have on too. I mean, talk about Kiefer Sutherland. I mean, acting, music. He's an incredible musician. It's him and his brother, right? I'm on that well, one.
1: Well, the thing is with, with, with Kiefer is like, I, never, I I think I played hockey in a celebrity game
2: with and he's a hockey player yeah.
1: once, but somehow like, you know, when you have a, a popular show that draws numbers, people are offered to you. Would you like to talk to Kiefer Sutherland? Yes, I would. I was in Toronto. He was in Toronto. I went to some producer's building, house room and you're sitting down with a guy you've really never met and press record and like have a conversation and make it good. There's an art form to that. And there's over 2 million podcasts now, Adam. And Oh, I know. The reason why they come and go so fast is cuz it's not easy to be a podcast host, right? Preach. Everyone thinks it's so easy. It's not. And so you get put in a room with someone you've never met before and then have a conversation with them for an hour and make it engaging. If you can do that, that's the secret to podcasting. It's not an interview, it's a, it's a conversation.
2: conversation. Dude, for, for hey. me, for me, it's Howard Stern. That's who I look up to in the space. Chris, I've been doing this four years, 250 plus episodes, and I built that muscle that that right. just like you in, in all of your creative outputs. And I do it because I love it. And I look at someone like Howard Stern, who turns a con- who turns an interview into a conversation. I mean he fucking He had he had Hillary Clinton on and he unpacked the Bill and Hillary Clinton love story. I, I've never heard how they met, those early days on campus, whatever they were doing. Like that's interesting.
1: That's See, like the, the human
2: piece that, that you pull out. Those are the threads.
1: And that's the thing. Like for me, it was Larry King. Like I did Larry King's show, I think, five times maybe. I loved talking to Larry King, he was a great interviewer. Because he would come in and okay, you're, you're promoting, I don't know, you're promoting life water. And he'd be like, all right, what are, you, what are we talking about? Life water? Okay. And then like, they didn't give a shit about life water. Talk about you, whatever it is. And then finally incorporate the life water at the end, by the time you've, you're into it, right? And you mentioned Slash. I had Slash on before the Guns N' Roses reunion. And he's like, please don't ask me about Guns and Roses. Like, I, Why would I ask you about Guns N' Roses? I don't care about Guns N' Roses. I'm talking to Slash. He likes dinosaurs. I like dinosaurs. We talked about dinosaurs for half an hour. Fuck yeah. We talked about (laughs) horror movies for half an hour. Then we started talking about the stones. And then he mentions the time that Guns N' Roses almost broke up when they opened up for the stones. Now, guess what we're talking about? Guns
2: N' Roses. Organically. Organically.
1: Organically. And then suddenly you talk about, will you ever play again? And this is an hour into the conversation. He's totally throwing stuff around. And it's like, that's how you do it. Not that I ever had a, a, an agenda, but but when you're talking to somebody and having a conversation, you forget that this thing is here, right here. You forget Dude, Larry
2: ones. never prepped either. That was Larry's thing too. He never prepped. Notorious. No prep. for I no don't prepping. like
1: prep. Like when we were talking earlier for ten minutes, no, no, press record, and whatever you get on on tape is what you get. Right. I had meatloaf <laughs> on. He got lost for two hours. By the time he got to the studio, he was fucking pissed. And I was running out of time. I said to the engineer, press record when he gets Just in go. here. When Meatloaf passed away, I listened back to it. It's hilarious because the first 10 minutes, all we're listening to is an angry Meatloaf. Oh, man. Pissed off that he was lost. It's gold,
2: gold. It's I go gold. to this
1: lawyer's office. I'm trying to find the <laughs> studio. They won't let me use the phone. I don't know what the hell to do. I'm going to drive home. Like This is great. Where else are you going to hear this in a Meatloaf interview? That's what it's you so want. good.
2: Man, let's let's, let's let's talk about the topic du jour because that's what we're here for, man. I, I mean, I'm going contra- contradicting what we said here. Dude, so, so when was like that first, like, I, I need to change up the character. I need to come up with this, like, where did Painmaker, the IRL real life Painmaker character come from? I, I see some horror movie inspirations there. I see a little bit of that um, pinhead kind of shit going on there. Where did, where did Painmaker come from?
1: So Painmaker came from um, I was working in Japan. I did three three years in a row headlining the Tokyo Dome, 18, 19, and 20. And the first time I went in 18, it was really great, but I was still kind of doing the WWF character, WWE character, sorry, that I just finished up with. And it didn't quite fit because I've worked in Japan many times. I think I've been there like 63 times or something. And Japan always there's a different vibe to wrestling in Japan, especially as a foreigner, um, especially with what I wanted to do, which if you really want to be a top guy there, you got to be a little bit crazy and you have to have no rules and just want to basically want to beat the shit out of the fans if you could. Almost reckless. Yeah. Like you're like Bruiser Brody, if you know that is. It's more like Godzilla, like, you know, like, and that's <laughs> not being stereotypical. Like the concept of Godzilla is like this evil creature that just destroys Tokyo by stepping all over it. It's kind of the same concept in wrestling. You just step over everybody. So um, I, I was kind of like, I need, I need something that fits a little bit more of my attitude, a little bit more violent, like a little bit more like what would, a, what would a serial killer look like if he was a pro wrestler? And somebody had made some kind of art of Chris Jericho as the Joker, you know, fan art, right? Right. And just the look of Chris Jericho, this Joker type thing. And I thought like, what if I did something like that? And the guy, I remember that he had like a, like a, like a, like a, like a hat, like a top hat, like a, hat, like a fedora, a fedora. What if I had some kind of Joker makeup, but it's not really Joker. It's kind of Alice Cooper-esque, but I didn't want it to be anything like where you do like, what would a serial killer do if he, if you had makeup? You give him a fucking lipstick thing. He just goes like that.
2: Yeah. A little bit Joker like meets that.
1: And then maybe like he's putting makeup on, but he like loses interest and it just goes down like that, right? (laughs) And then I looked at it and said, okay, this is total Alice Cooper, so put some stuff on the side. And that's kind of what I – let me just try that. And then I remember the first time you ever tried something different, like you walk out of your dressing room into the – you know, where all the other guys are. And if someone would have said, oh, that looks really stupid, maybe I would have been second-guessing. But it's Japan, and of course (laughs) you're going to wear – Makeup in Crazy. Japan. Why wouldn't you? So as soon as I walk in the locker room, the guy that I was working with, he was kind of just like, you know, Japanese guy. And we just start talking about the match. He doesn't even don't even blink about the fact I'm wearing this makeup. And so there's a guy over there called Okada who's the top guy, and he's the Rainmaker. And I was gonna get wrestling, I'm gonna get ready for a match with him. And I thought, well, fuck, the pain maker, it practically writes itself. So that's what I did. Uh the first couple times I wore the makeup, it was just Chris Jericho, and then then, when the Okada match came, it was the Painmaker. And then suddenly that became a thing.
2: And what about the storyline of the serial killer? Where did that come from? I mean, I he had know. to have some, it just kind of. I don't know. It, I, just, I, just, it, I just,
1: I just, these, like, these things just kind of pop in my head. Okay. What would a serial killer look like if he was a wrestler? There it is. So then, when I started kind of thinking more about the Painmaker, we had, we did like a clothing line of the Painmaker, and I introduced the character into AEW whenever I have kind of like a death match or some kind of a violent street fight. Then the pain maker comes out like an alter ego of Chris Jericho, right? Um, and then when I started talking with David about NFTs, and what can we do? I thought, well, why don't I take the pain maker out of just wrestling? Because I think I've only played the character maybe maybe half a dozen times, maybe 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 eight. Right? I think there's more you could do with it. And that's when I started thinking, what's the backstory of this serial killer? What does he do? You know? Yeah, and, and that's, that's happened kind of where your it all creative happened. roots, man.
2: What's that? that really t- did you like? You've always been writing, and then, and it started yeah. to re- going back to what you said before. You have longevity here with this character. It really, it really has legs. But question, like NFTs, it's like me trying to explain that shit to my dad. Once you once you started, like, what was your first taste into the world of of, of digital art and people throwing out words like Web three, digital assets, NFTs? So I, I did, mean, were you a quick adapter? It. Did you like? How did you figure it out in your own journey of what this shit really was?
1: I did a movie with Kevin Smith called Kilroy Was Here that David and his company produced, and um, that's when then NFTs started being mentioned. And actually, Barry Bloom, my manager who's on right now, he mentioned NFT, and I literally thought, "Not what does that mean? Non fungible token." And I, when I heard fun, like, I literally said, is it some kind of mushroom or something? like, what is it? like, do I gotta fungible- take this? what's it, it going to do to me? Like, so when <laughs> that on, it's like, like, like a fungi, <laughs> like what the, what the fuck does that mean? And then you hear it like, you don't like nobody understands what an NFT is at first. Now we're just starting to get into it, but no one knew what a podcast was at first. Nobody knew what a freaking iPod was or a cell phone, you know, you know, if someone would have, I have a DVD here that some dude sent me. I don't what? even know why it's sitting here. And I'm like, it's DVD. Do you for even have a DVD exist. player? Do people still have DVD why, why, players? Why does them? this exist? This just was given to me. Like if someone would have told you, you know, 15 years ago that a DVD would be obsolete and everything would be on your phone. You'd be like, shut up. You're crazy. You're an idiot. There's no way.
2: And that's kind porn, of the same porn thing. Porn not in a magazine? magazine? Porn not in a yeah. magazine? Right. <laughs> you mean I could, look right? At, I, could look at, I could look at porn right here on my phone? No way.
1: <laughs> no way. And that's the same thing with, you know, with, with with NFTs, you know, what is it? There's no way it's real. And then you realize, oh my gosh, it, like the, the best example is, is I have a Wayne Gretzky rookie card somewhere in my house and I had it for years in a certain place and now I can't find the fucking thing. And now you see it's selling for 400 grand and 500 grand. Not that I'd sell it, but I want it. I have it. I remember you getting it back when I was nine years old. <laughs> if it was an NFT card, you would never lose it because it's always in the blockchain, and that's what the, you know the the next version of a Wayne Gretzky rookie card, whoever that will be, you know, in five ten years will be on will be an NFT, and 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 everybody suddenly then will start understanding what it is. So, wanting to get in on the ground floor of that with this really cool character idea and, and storyline idea, it's perfect for Chris Jericho because it's exactly the same thing I did with podcasting, you know, with everything else that I've done.
2: And and I think it ties into your audience too. You talk about engagement. Like how do you craft these storylines that continue to engage with your Chris Jericho fan base who I'm going to assume are Web3 and NFT friendly. Like what's the process of of building out this character and the, and the storylines and how does that translate into an NFT execution?
1: Well, not all of them are, but I think once again, novel people, too. I think a lot of people first heard about a podcast through me and now everyone knows what a podcast is, right? I think... That's one of the reasons why Talk is Jericho is still so successful because if you start with something, you tend to like just stick with that, right? And it's the same with NFTs. I think a lot of people understand what it is. A lot of people don't, but they know that Jericho's talking about it. And you know, in three or four years, when NFT becomes more of the norm, oh yeah, I remember when when Jericho was talking about this early, early on. So. And it's not an NFT just to have an NFT. I don't like that idea either. It's just to of hold something
2: as like a tradable, collectible, but there's something and that you, you're interested in. You, you actually give those, a shit about it.
1: Here's here's an NFT and it's a picture of me and it's got some wispy smoke in it. Like whatever. Like let's, let's take it to the next level, which is where the idea for like doing all, actually a whole graphic novel came from. You know, the very first NFT that we did and sold was basically a 20 second clip of the pain maker who, you know, I think fire shot from his eyes or something and spikes came up. And then, so that was the first one. Then I kind of back, why is this happening? And that's kind of where the whole idea of like, well, maybe this, the pain maker is a serial killer, but maybe he's an intergalactic serial killer that has reformed himself and is now traveling the galaxy as an assassin for other serial killers. Something like that,
2: And what ha- what happens with with innocence? Does he does he occasionally accidentally or yes. like his deep inside he's got to
3: kill an, an innocent? Book. You got to read the comic.
1: Yeah, no, he's I still agree. he's still a serial killer at heart, and once in a while feels the need to murder an innocent person. So there's the flaw.
2: So he's got and some then, Dexter you know, tendencies. Yeah,
1: well, a little bit of a Dexter. It's like if you took Dexter and combined him with kind of Lobo, and combined him with Batman, and combined him with you know Green Lantern because he flies through space or whatever. Um, that's kind of what it is. So, so to come up with that concept of a character, and one last thing about about it was like, I've seen so many Batman movies and Spider-Man movies and Superman movies, and now they're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Ant-Man, are you kidding me? Ant-Man? They're
2: going to the C-list, man.
1: Ant-Man was the, was the biggest jobber of superheroes when I was a kid. <laughs> Nobody wanted to be Ant-Man. So sooner or later, there's going to have to be a, a new superhero that's created so I thought, well, let me create this as an NFT. Then let's create it as a graphic novel, and then let's make a movie of it. Oh, you'll never let's, make a movie. of it Well, wow, that sounds familiar, right? Because what was I told when I was nineteen? Oh, you'll never be a wrestler. So I don't even listen to that shit. I listen, think you got a Dave and Kevin
2: Smith in your corner, man. You got two guys who know what the hell they're doing over there.
1: Dude, I mean, why not, right? Who, who, say, who says it won't work? And the only the only way that you'll know if it doesn't work is if you don't try it. You know, so
2: so how, how, how's the audience and your fans? What's what's the feedback? once again
1: what's the feedback is that people either love it or they hate it and either you're a revolutionary or you're destroying the 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 free world so (laughs) you know that that's the same thing that you get with anything that you do people either get it or they don't and i think more and more people are getting it and they
3: will as time moves on and and how are you This is a very different take on the use of nft too this fits into chris's creativity it's NFT is a communication tool between you know, creator Chris and the whole interactive storyline going on in the comic. So, you know, just like Chris popularized the podcast, I think this project is going to show there's a lot of flexibility in the NFT space that isn't used yet. But this project is.
2: I mean, we're, we're in the first step out of the first inning here, folks. I'm a baseball guy, so right. I like to use that analogy. And, and it just opens up the ability for creativity and discovery, too, from a technology standpoint. You know, Dave, what are some of the things? And, and let's give a little bit of alpha here. You know, how is this going to be different as a digital medium um, than other projects out there?
3: Well, the whole point is that this is a story that, you know, Chris is creating that I think is very interesting and engaging. And the graphic novel with the NFT lets you right away get into sort of an expansive, explorable world. And I've always loved the graphic novel because I think that's a medium by which still a lot of our greatest entertainment comes from. Now look at uh, Netflix got The Sandman. Look at AMC had Preacher. You know, look at yeah, uh, Amazon has The Boys. It's we, and, and I believe that uh, the boys is good. in the uh, collaboration with you know what we're doing together, you know, can create this new character. But now people instead of like just waiting for the next issue. There's going to be five issues in this in the story cycle. They can actually go into the issue and like it'll continue to evolve. More frames will become animated. There'll be chances to co-create with us. That's and what's exciting. Also, it's also we're not trying. This is not a like cash grab. It's in line with what you would you know spend if you're going to the store to buy a comic comic book, and you get a physical version of it to collect too. So we're really trying. It's, to, it's tangible. Yeah, we're we're and, really and it, trying and to create value.
2: And, it, and it's digital, right? I mean, I know it's a buzzword out there, but it's, it's all encompassing. It's it's a new medium. Um, I mean, listen, there's so much negative press out there with, you know, people selling these freaking NFTs, these monkeys, these apes, these punks for, for lots of money while it's getting hacked and everything. So you do have to combat a lot of that negative PR out there. What are you guys doing to, to spread the word? And how can we help, uh, you know, get everyone on board?
1: Well, I mean, once again, I, I think you're just kind of, you have to, spread the word of what it is that you're doing and also encourage people to step into, you know, not the future, but step into the now, right? Like, I think there's a, there's there's graphic novels that are sold every day, but I'm like, how many are they really selling? And I think a lot of times it's like, okay, there's a new, you know, Ozzy Osbourne graphic novel or, or you know, whatever. Who's really reading and,
2: it? Like how many people want to see I mean, right. Osbourne?
1: It's cool to have and say, look at me, I've got a graphic but- novel and and that's great, but once again I, I, I didn't I didn't want to do that what I what I think Adam is that another another thing that people don't know yet is an Nft is almost like a moving living entity right so when you look at a, a, a graphic novel and you see this picture on the page I'm using air quotes um, yeah. it's not just a picture of you know Jericho Adam and, and Dave sitting there with bubbles next to our mouth yeah no one wants to watch that dialogue no one's, like no one's paying for that if i'm if i'm taking out a gun and shooting you it's not just a picture blam it's me taking a gun out and you see the the bullet leave the chamber right like there's you know then there's stuff going on and lighting an and smoke and it's an experience right yeah it's inter, it's almost like a living breathing it's almost like an anima- an animated comic book
3: and, and this, so
1: and this, once, once people start getting used to that you know, kids or whoever's that, that's reading it is going to go back and look at an old school comic book. And it's going to be like us looking at an eight track tape or something going like, what do you do with this thing? Why isn't it, you know, how do I, how do I even listen to this? So, so once, again, once, once you can wrap your head around what an NFT is, then you understand the benefits of it. And, and, and the one thing I'll say is people go, well, why don't I just take a picture of it? And then I have it. It's like, okay, so let's go, go to the Louvre coming. to look at the Mona Lisa and, we look at this Mona Lisa, and we we appreciate the the brilliance of the Mona Lisa, and it's worth I don't know whatever it's worth five hundred million dollars or whatever the hell it is. Okay, I'm gonna take a picture with my cell phone. I'm gonna print it out. I'm gonna stick it on the wall, and now I've got the Mona Lisa. Duh. Well, it doesn't work that way, right? And that's kind of what the same analogy is with an NFT.
3: We're gonna. Yeah. Also, I'm also gonna continue my campaign to call NFTs programmable art. And we're trying to explore that quality of the NFT. In other words, they tell you if you're going to art school or you want to be a creator, you know, focus on the story. This is a great story that uh, has been developed by Chris. And I think it's by itself valuable to read it. So it's not an NFT to hold the NFT. The NFT makes you a participant in the story. And over time, more frames become animated. But then the community reading this will have the chance through the programmable art to communicate maybe they want to see this turned into their own and see the story continue. And that's what I love about the potential of this art form. How many times have you loved a show and then the distributor just taking it off the air? Here's a way for the audience it's like it's like a Kickstarter, the next level kind of view. Instead of getting it's creative
0: legacy. It's it's,
3: creative legacy for Chris. It's creative legacy for creative interaction. Instead of just like getting a signed poster and you help make an independent film you're actually entering this world, and if you want to choose to build it out um, with us, we can do that. And I think that's where the project differs greatly than either being trying to grand and make this like complete, explorable metaverse, or like a cash grab, or like a picture of NFT. No, the NFT, the programmable art provides access to this storytelling.
2: And this is this is exciting. And we're going to link it up at the end. We're going to have something pretty cool for my audience, which we'll get to in a little bit here. So let, let's bring it home here, Chris. And I want to, I want to circle back to probably I would assume your your greatest profession is is being a dad. How have you balanced it over the years, man? I mean, you're on the road all the time. How 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 do you how how have, how have you maintained being a, an awesome dad?
1: Well, I mean, it's one of those things. Like we're talking about all these different things that I'm doing, but a lot of it is, is most of it is time management, you know. And anybody that's in show business will tell you, like you know, in wrestling. The show starts at eight. You got to be there at two. You know, the gig starts at nine. You get there at, at noon. So what do you do all day? Well, you could sit around and do nothing or you could do podcasts and you could write books and you can, you know, have meetings about NFTs and, and all that sort of thing. Um, so you can, you know, you, 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 you just use that time wisely. You know, and then sometimes like this past six weeks has been pretty nuts because I went to the UK with Fozzie. Then I came home for a week. I had some wrestling I had to do. Then I went to Australia with Fozzie. Then I went to Canada to film a movie. Then I had to go Crazy. to Dallas, the States to wrestle. Then back to Canada. Then back to the States. But now I'm home. And I'm home for three weeks, right? So um, now I can you know, do all the things at home that I have to do. And, and as your kids get older, it's a shame. But they grow up and they don't really want to hang out with their parents. They go and do stuff. And then suddenly yep. one kid's off to college. And the other two kids are driving. And they're at their friend's house. And it's like, well what am I going to do anyways? You know, my wife's got goats in the field that she hangs out with. So I'm sitting here <laughs> talking to you guys. Right. So it's like, you know, I, I think, I think, I and think it's time, ma- time <laughs> management and, uh, and kind of just having yeah. passion for what you do. It's the old saying, which is so true. If you love what you do, you never really work a day in your life. And that's, it, that's what it is and not being complacent. That's why, you know, entering this new world, like, like, for example, with the NFT, it's like, it's never been done before for me. So like, let me really look into this and and see what I can do. And everything else is still important for me. And if I don't want to do it, I don't. So there's no kind of ancillary projects where Chris, you got to do this, No shit. Like, no, like I want to do all these things. So then you do them. And that's basically the, the best explanation I can give.
2: Chris, you've had an incredible life, incredible career, and it's not stopping anytime soon. So let's let's bring it home here. But the podcast is ending soon, and I want to bring it home. Chris, what's it, What's the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on every day? A mantra, something Paul, you repeat in your head, a little birdie on your shoulder.
1: Paul Stanley said it in a movie when I was a teenager. I know Paul Stanley. He's a friend of mine. I've said the quote so many times that people think it's my quote, and every time it gets published, as a Chris Jericho quote. Paul Stanley will text me and go, where's my royalty? And it's (laughs) the the only people that tell you you can't do something are the ones that have failed. The the people that have failed at their own dreams will tell you you can't do something. I, Chris Jericho will never tell someone they can't do something because I did it. And if I can do it, you can do it. That's it. I wrote a book uh, called Noah's a four letter word, a self-help book almost. And that's the whole concept. It's so easy to throw the word no around. I don't ever accept no. And everybody on my team that works with me, don't tell me why it's not going to work. If there's 99 ways it's not going to work, tell me the one way it will work and let's work on that. And if you can kind of have that attitude, you'll always succeed. No, don't take no for an answer.
2: That's incredible advice. And Chris, last but not least, you look back on your life and your career and you look at those hard times, those tough times when you had to dig down deep and harness that inner tenacity to drive you forward. And today you sit here with gratitude for your life, your career, the ability to create and really do whatever the hell you want. How does Chris Jericho stay focused? What is your beacon? Chris Jericho, what is your North Star in life?
1: Man, that's pretty deep. Like I never really get that philosophical, right? Like to me, it's just, (laughs) just, it's just, it's just, it's just like, it's, it's a cool challenge for the day. Like what can I do? Like I, I, like, I have a lot of responsibility to, to the people that enjoy my work. You know, I, I don't really call them fans, the friends, friends of Jericho. So what cool shit can I think of to do that people that enjoy my work will, will get a kick out of? You know, what, what can I do to make other people, when they get off work on a Friday afternoon, uh, listen to, watch? think about that's going to, going to make their, their day a little better, you know? So I think that's basically it. I, I have responsibility to, 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 the people that enjoy what I do and to keep doing stuff that, that, you know, that, that, that they can dig, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's pretty that's, low level, but that's kind of what it is for me at this point.
2: That's, that's a good stuff, man. Chris, I want to thank you so much for your time. Dave Shapiro, thank you so much for pulling it all together. I want everyone to check out the Paymaker NFT uh, on OpenSeed. Dave, where else could folks find uh, the project and learn more?
3: Uh, semcoreio slash painmaker
2: awesome and we're going to link it up there as well too and you can find Chris all over social media Chris Jericho I want to thank you so much for your generous time I appreciate you it's been an honor everyone listening at home you know where to find out more at thepodcast.com remember take care of each other look out for one another and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast take care everybody
0: wisdom is forever but for us it's time to go